This is It Came From New Jersey podcast. Technically, this is episode three, but this is going to be a different kind of episode that we hope to uh, repeat in the future. Um, we have a guest with us today. His name is Brian Gorsegner. He sings for a band called The Nightbirds, a great New Jersey punk rock band. Um, he also runs Wired Tour Booking and Ancient Artifacts. Brian, welcome to uh, the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Bob, how you doing? I'm good, Pete. Good to uh, to join you on this wonderful evening. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us. It's, uh, it's kind of exciting to get on the phone with two people that you've known for over 20 years, and I don't know how often that happens. Not that often for me. No, I don't know that I've ever done it. Like a like a two way three way call like this, yeah, yeah, it's fun, you know. Full, full menage here. Um, so let's <laughs> uh, bring people together for real. Um, so, uh, Brian, uh, I, I want you to give a little bit of context for some of the things you work on as an introduction, so people who aren't familiar with you can get more familiar. But um, we all have known each other for a very long time in the independent music scene in punk and in hardcore music uh your band nightbirds is definitely one of the best and actually quite likely to end up on this list uh on a future episode so we may have you or maybe another member on or maybe we'll just have the whole band on to discuss a record at some point but um but which would i think pete that would be a fun concept what about that That would be great yeah absolutely But uh, for today, we'll, we'll talk Misfits and talk Walk Among Us. Um, Wired Tour Booking is pretty self-explanatory, but I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that and Ancient Artifacts, which is kind of an interesting little project that I think probably grew into something more than you thought it would. Yeah. Yeah. I started a couple of years ago when I lost my full-time regular person job, which was boring and we don't need to go into that. Um I was kind of torn between if I wanted to start booking some bands independently, which is something I was doing a little bit on the side already, or uh, try to like open a record shop or, uh, you know, sell um, punk rock artifacts and uh, records and t-shirts and things like that through like a mail order process. Um, so I did them both for a while. The, the record thing is called ancient artifacts and the tour booking thing uh, turned into wired Um And kind of just became to realize that like, you know, on one, you're totally dependent on finding collections and scoring stuff. And that's kind of what keeps you afloat. And if that doesn't happen, then you're kind of shit out of luck. And I have a, you know, a six-year-old daughter and we have a house and I have bills to pay. Um, So I was fortunate enough to get some really cool bands, uh, Screaming Females, Off With Their Heads, The Ergs, Radioactivity, a bunch of bands. And uh, that kind of started to steamroll. Uh, so that was what I decided to focus a lot of my attention on. Um, but I still do artif- uh, ancient artifacts just, you know, for fun on the side, it's still a little bit of income to find stuff and sell stuff every now and again. Uh, I've been trading tons of records and stuff like that lately. And, uh, yeah, Nightbirds has been an active band for about 10 years, been, uh, touring and putting out records that entire time. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of back burner now. Everybody's doing real life stuff at the moment, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's uh, that's my stuff in a nutshell. Well, uh, long and the short of it, um, Nightbirds, as we I kind of said, absolutely one of the coolest bands going. I, I don't think I ever tell you about that, but 
but your records not just hold up, but they feel almost timeless. So that's yeah, a, that means a lot. huge testament. And um, Wired Tour Booking, the bands that you mentioned, Screaming Females, The Ergs, Radioactivity, Off With Their Heads. That If there's someone who's listening to this who's a Misfits fan, maybe a lapsed uh, punk or, or just a music listener in general, I think you'd find something interesting with that group of bands for sure. And on top of that, Ancient Artifacts, for the person out there with a dusty record collection that you think maybe yeah. is interesting, uh, we'll, we'll try to make sure you can get in touch with Brian. Look him up on all the socials and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Pete, kick us off here. So, you know, as you guys mentioned, we've all known each other for over 20 years at this point, a very long time. Um, we all grew up in New Jersey and we all grew up going to punk shows. In fact, we all met each other, I think, through going to punk shows. For sure. Um, yeah, definitely. So, you know, one of the early bands that Bob and I got into was the Misfits, and we covered that on the last episode. We covered Walk Among Us. So we were thinking to ourselves who we could have on the program to talk about Walk Among Us and the Misfits, you know, even further. And uh, Brian came up because, you know, we've known Brian for a long time. He's been involved with punk for a very long time. And, uh, you know, I have to imagine he's a big fan of the Misfits. Um, That is correct. Right. So uh, that was kind of the impetus for all this. And um, I think the point of the episode here is to, you know, really just elaborate more on kind of where we went uh, last episode, but, you know, with another voice in the room, um, another very educated voice in the room, you know, so again, um, really excited for this episode. And, uh, you know, this is something that we hope to repeat in future episodes, um, you know, about different records, but Brian's here to help us kick off this kind of segment of the program. Yeah, the kind of the extension of, we'll call it, because I see, you know, you had entered the episode and, um, it's part, it's episode three, Part two, maybe we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. You know, three point five, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, Brian, tell us what was your first experience, if you remember, with the Misfits? I do. Um, my first teenage band um, covered cover. Uh, what the hell did we cover? My friend, my friend John Brange was a, a huge Misfits fan, and I remember before I could drive going to like some real sketchy tattoo shop in New Jersey so he could get the Crimson Ghost tattooed on his arm. Um, and then uh, we started doing a band together. And one of the first covers we did was Astro Zombies. And he made me a tape that had Astro Zombies on it. And, uh, you know, it's just something that he would very regularly play. Um, mostly later, by later, I mean like static age um, stuff. Mm-hmm. But even around that time, I think like the reunion albums were coming out. He was very heavily playing that stuff. I think like the later singles and stuff, it wasn't until I got the box set that I kind of went backwards and discovered that stuff. But yeah, that was, that was my intro to it. When, um, so, so what do you remember? And I mean, you know, this is kind of one of those like uh, early stages of punk thing, but what was the difference to you with, was there a difference to you rather with the misfits and some of the other bands you were kind of getting into at the time, or were they kind of just part of a group? I think it was a little bit more, it fit in a little bit better with the stuff that I was listening to at that time, maybe because like, you know, the addicts had like kind of a goofy clown logo and they had a bit like of a gimmick. Um, 
And uh, even like, you know, one-off UK82 stuff like the exploited, like all, you know, Mohawks and they kind of had a gimmick. And I didn't, you know, I got into that stuff before I got into a lot of the more meat and potatoes hardcore stuff that I think, you know, Misfits sort of aligned themselves with in that time period, like the Necros and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think had I gotten into, you know, Necros and Negative Approach, Misfits would have been total freaks with like, you know, um, nobody else was doing what they were doing in that uh in that time and place um but because i was already listening to like more gimmicky stuff i think it fit in maybe a little bit better Mm -hmm. um so no it didn't strike me as that odd when i like you know their whole deal it kind of just flowed with the other stuff i was doing brian i have a question about um you know, when your first band covered the Misfits, were there, do you remember any other bands that you may have covered around that time? And I asked that only because one of my first bands, I think the first, probably the first full song I ever played actually was Astro Zombies with a few friends. That's awesome. Um, And the reason we did it was because we listened to a lot of, you know, we were listening to a lot of punk bands, I guess at the time, but the only one that we really felt that we could adequately play given our like abilities at the time was the misfits. So I'm wondering, you know, if there were other bands that you were considering covering that maybe, you know, you didn't have the chops. Like it just seems one of the things we talked about in the last episode was how the misfits, like they write fantastic songs and like, we'll get into all of this, but you know, the chops in a lot of ways, like weren't necessarily there all the time. So, you know, like I'm wondering how much of an influence that was on like you guys deciding to cover them. It really wasn't. I don't think, cause that band was actually very competent musically. Um, I really just think it was because of the one dude in the band, it was uh, very clearly his favorite band. Um, cause other stuff we were covering was like, Oi Polloi and like stuff that wasn't like easy to play. It wasn't like Ramon covers and Miss covers. Um, it was other like pretty, um, technical stuff. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely, we were able to pick up, we, I think we did it justice pretty well because it was like, it was really not much to this song. Like we can, we could probably knock this out. Right. Uh, but I do totally see your point, um, you know, but it's also kind of like, you know, trying to do a minor threat cover when you're a teenager and being like, oh, this is going to be easy. And it's like the nuances of a band like the Misfits that it's really kind of tough to do that stuff well and correct because it's like, it's the gnarliness of it. I think that makes it sound so unique. I mean, if another band recorded walk among us, it could easily sound like a pop punk record or stuff or something like that. For sure. Um, but it's like all the layers that make up the misfits doing that record that makes it like, you know, pretty ferocious. So I want to, I want to put a pin on that because I want to talk more about the sound because I, I had that exact thought listening to, all hope breaks loose today. I was like, man, this, there's so much snarl and attitude on this track and it's awesome. And there's so yeah. few punk bands who capture that. And this might not even be in my top 10 or 15 misfit songs. And that's crazy. Um, you hit a point, Brian, that I thought was really cool, just kind of casually. And, and Pete, you reiterated it. Um, and you said you, before you had, before you were driving, before you had your license here in New Jersey, for most of us, that, that's 17, right? Um, even way back when, right? But uh, that that brings to me the idea of like the Misfits being an early band, a formative band for so many people, especially in our age range. 
was that ability to play their songs? And, you know, you said you were, you were able to play it. You were doing different songs. You're doing a lot of stuff um, that was not as easy. Do you think that helped people get into it? Pete made a point last episode and, and again, kind of here, where it's like, oh, I heard it and was like, I can do this. Do you think that plays a role in in their importance to a kid getting into punk music or music in general? Yeah, I mean, I would have to imagine, uh, you know, I think that goes for, again, a lot of bands. You hear like the simplicity of it and it makes you want to go out and start your own band. And I think just naturally because the Misfits were on the top of the heap, um, you know, I'm sure that that's extremely appealing to a ton of teenagers that, you know, want to go out and start doing something even like to, you know, start playing drums or start playing guitar. You can just listen to those songs and be like, okay, I can play that drum beat or I could play that really simple fill. Um, you know, I mean, one of the funnest things, <laughs> one of the first things I learned how to play on guitar was the, the 138 guitar solo, the, wah, 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 the yeah. one note yeah. wailing solo. And that's something that over, over years still, I mean, Nightbirds will be like, we need like a 138 solo here. We just need one note to kind of hover over this entire chorus. It gives it so much texture and flavor. It's it's so cool. Um, but it's so goddamn stupid. I mean, it's like, you know, dumb as hell. Who, like who else then was just playing one note guitar solos? It's ridiculous. Right. Well, and, and so to me, I, I, this is kind of continuing off that because I agree. It's like, what? How did they do this? But the energy pushes it over. For both of you guys, uh, are Misfit songs fun songs to play? Because they seem simple, but there's a lot of energy in them. So are they fun songs to do do covers of? And I mean, obviously, live reaction or whatever. But are they fun songs to just play? I think so. Yeah, I think they're super, super fun. Um, but again, I think it takes something kind of cool to make them actually sound good. So I, I'm like kind of scared to do them now. I mean, mostly because of, you know, vocals like it really takes somebody with some vocal chops to be able to do what Danzig does because despite everything that guy just has an absolutely gifted crazy voice um but unlike other instruments like I'll sit in my house and play drums along to Misfits songs like a hundred percent yeah for sure I mean um so you know one of the things we talked about Bob in the last episode is just how the recordings sound like they're pushing so hard. Like there's that X factor. There's that energy that Brian mentioned too. Mm -hmm. Like when I was playing those songs as a kid, I remember like, I, I felt like believe, believe me, the covers definitely did not sound as good as the misfits, but, um, I felt like I was pushing super hard, which made me feel like, you know, confident in the way that I was sounding. I feel like now, if I were to play those songs in front of people, I would be super self-conscious about it. Kind of like what Brian's talking about. I feel like it would have to be like Halloween show scenario. Like we're decked out in like all the clothes, you know, we like do the whole costume thing. Um, then I would maybe be like, all right, I can get behind this. But like, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to find that X factor that they had. Um, so is it fun to play? Yeah, for sure. But like, if, if I were to do it in front of people, I feel like I would feel a way about it. I feel that. I feel that. All right. So <clears throat> let's, uh, let's hone in a little bit and talk about the record walk among us. Um, Brian, you're a, well, let's start. Let's I'll pull it back. Brian, you're a Misfits fan. 
what is your go-to Misfits material? What are some of your favorites? And then we'll eventually get to Walk Among Us, wherever that falls in the overall look at things. Uh, my favorite stuff is definitely uh, the singles. The pre and kind of, I love the singles that they did, same era as Walk Among Us. Um, Halloween and Night of the Living Dead, but like Bullet, Bullet and Horror Business, I think are two of the greatest American punk rock EPs ever, or not only American, I mean, just all time greatest EPs. I think they're absolutely perfect. I think the production is perfect. Um, it's just incredible pop music really played. Yes. Uh, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. When you, I mean, so <clears throat> Pop music is right. It's really catchy. Um, what separates it? You know, what what puts it more in that realm? And why is it not pop music? You know what I mean? Like it is, but it's not. So so break that down for us. I mean, I, I just think because of the snarl and the like, the gross sound to it all. Um, you know, I mean, they're the kind of band that I think could have written song, you know, Glenn Danzig could have written songs and given them to another, another band. Um, you know, like even had like the Ramones done some of those misfits tracks, I think they could be radio quality songs, but they're just so nasty. I mean, like the bass tone, the guitar tone, even the drumming is just very bare bones stripped down and the recordings are just straight up nasty sounding. So I never thought about that. Um, the idea of the Ramones doing the Misfits songs. That's because, I mean, that's, that's one of the differences. Like if you compare the Ramones and the Misfits, they're both writing pretty simple songs, you know, nothing, nothing crazy, uh, you know, one, one note solos and such, but, but the Misfits were dirtier and more aggressive and a lot rougher around the edges than the Ramones. And you're right. Like there are certainly, I mean, five to ten Misfit songs that if they were Ramon songs, it feels like they could still be bopping on the radio right now. Yeah, well, I'd like to add one caveat to that, and that's that the lyrics are yes. really fucked up. I mean, <laughs> like, I'm surprised the Misfits haven't gotten canceled in 2020, but uh, <laughs> there are songs that are just like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, you read the lyrics to something, and you're like, that's deranged. Like, I didn't realize. And I don't know the lyrics to a lot of Misfit songs compared right. to a lot favorite bands you think you know all the words and the song comes on and you're at karaoke and you're like what the hell are the words to this song that i've known for 20 years right. but and then you read the lyrics and you're like oh my god like yeah. that is dark that's, um sorry yeah that's one but, of the things that came up in the last episode actually was just how dark those lyrics were like i'm not sure that would fly at this point and you know, I, I had the same experience as you i think when i listened to walk among us just for this episode um I don't think I'd ever read that lyric sheet before. I really thought that I knew all the lyrics and then I read through them and I was like, Oh, this is brutal. You know, it's also wildly poetic. I mean, the way that he constructs his lyrics, I think are really, really brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just so well put together and nobody else does stuff like that. And then, you know, like in that scene, everything else is about fuck school and fuck the government and this and that. But like Glenn's lyrics, are I think terrific, but when you get into it, you're like, oh my god, the lyrics to Bullet are we, like. We read the, the lyrics to Bullet. We read the lyrics to Bullet, and I stopped before it got super graphic. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's and and it's uh, you're totally right, dead on, because he was also pulling on themes that nobody else was doing. 
you know? Yeah. And, and uh, we kind of said that he created this weird Venn diagram where punk music and people who love horror and sci-fi and like cult type stuff uh, intersect. And it's like, well, obviously they're a Misfits fan. <laughs> you know? yeah. Oh, yeah, you got spiky hair and you're at uh, Monster Mania. You probably like the Misfits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, and Brian, going off the poetry of it too. I mean, one of the things I thought about was, you know, a lot of the punk bands at the time were like really on the nose, kind of political with their lyrics. Whereas the Misfits, like were not technically political at all, but you know, just the vibe and the feel of those songs, like it feels apocalyptic. Right. So it was like, I don't know. I, I, I perceive of it as almost like being political without even, without touching politics in any way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I really do think that Danzig is a genius. Um, I mean, a, a kind of, of like the Darby crash of the germs level where it's like, you know, you know, all the songs and you're like, yeah, this is like dumb as hell. Like the you know, it doesn't get any more dumbed down. And then you read it and you're like, Whoa, like what the hell was going on here? <laughs> uh, just next level, brilliant stuff. Um, brilliant stuff. Yeah, and, and pretty twisted. yeah, I mean, edgy by today's standards. Yeah. Like, and that's something you don't hear very much. You know, the way the time marches, things get a lot harder for people to handle. But these lyrics are really out there. And you're totally right. They're next level. The way they're written and the way they flow in songs is just incredible. And that, you know, I don't know that Danzig gets credit for that. I don't think he gets credit for that um, in the way that he should in the spheres and the worlds that he, he's been in, which is more than just punk, but also like metal and rock or whatever you want to consider later era Danzig. Um, what would you compare Glenn Danzig's vocals to? Like like the styling of it, the way it the sounds. The style and sound, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, we we nothing. hit we hit Elvis, but you know when you listen to it and really dive in, it's like yeah, he's taking cues from that, but but it's twisted and ugly. You know, it's it's really nasty. Like he, it sounds like he's viciously mad at someone who the song's about, but he's singing about. Uh, a 1960s sci-fi movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I really don't know that I could compare it to anything, to be honest. I think it's really unique. He does, I mean, he has an absolutely fantastic voice. Um, it's just, yeah, it's great and it's twisted and it's very much his own. Um, but the guy can sing, you know? I mean, uh, he, he could be like a wedding singer if <laughs> if he wasn't Glenn Danzig. Have you ever heard him talk? Yeah. That's the part that really makes me acknowledge how good of a singer he is. Because yeah. the speaking voice, it's like, yeah, this is just some dude from North Jersey, man. And he still hasn't lost it, despite the fact I think he's lived in California for, you know, 30 years. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, some Sinatra level shit where it's like, this dude is so Jersey. And then he can just absolutely croon. Uh, I mean, he can. It's just <laughs> to the fact of the matter. So you prefer the singles. Uh, where do you stand on the albums? You know, Walk Among Us, Earth AD. Well, here's uh, this is an interesting, slightly off track, if you don't mind, point. Of course, please. That I think is really interesting, specifically to Walk Among Us. Walk Among Us was the third Misfits album, uh, as far as the recording. 
you know, they had done 12 hits from hell and they did static age, neither of which were released at the time. So the first debut quote unquote album was walk among us, but like that was their third album, which is absolutely insane. And I think it, I think it sounds like that because I think it sounds closer to earth AD in overall vibe than it does the early singles. Um, but as far as where it stands for me, I absolutely love it. Um, I think it could be a different band than the band on the singles and would True. still make my top 10. So I think that's a great point uh, that we didn't hit. We talked about how there were the previous album recordings, but Pete, you know, what do you walk among us? It doesn't come off like a band's first album. Which makes sense because not only had the you know it's it's sort of this this thing that will happen if a band records a lot of singles but then finally puts together an album sometimes it can work really well. Walk Among Us feels like a fully formed concept and like it really kind of flows and works pretty well together. And and knowing you know putting together the history and lost pieces where it's like oh actually they had recorded two full albums before this they just never made, saw light of day till much much later. Does that does that kind of all fit to you? Oh yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but I'm you know uh, this album, from what I know, was recorded. I think the majority of it was recorded in one place, and then there were a few tracks recorded elsewhere, and then there's a live track. So to me, in a way, it does feel like you know it. Well, the band and the way that they play definitely sounds like they've been you know playing for a while. Um, the record itself, although I think it's like a near perfect record, um, it is interesting that like they would include a live track and, you know, not, you know, have one session. Brian, actually, that's a good point. Do you know why there's a live track? There's so much, there's so much that I find weird about this album. And that is definitely a huge part of it. I have no idea. I mean, the fact that they record, you know, most bands that we would think of from back then would be like, and then we went into this guy's basement in a weekend and we recorded everything in 20 hours. But this was a record that was recorded over multiple locations, live, (laughs) a live track. I have absolutely no idea. Um, (laughs) <laughs> it's totally unnecessary. I mean, our, uh, our guess was that it just, you know, maybe captured the energy in a way that they were happy with and just went for that over the recorded version or something like that. But yeah, there's no way it wasn't a strategic, very thought out move because that's not the way that they ever operated. So it's there right. for a reason, but right. I <laughs> couldn't tell you why. <laughs> so, so, okay. You love walk among us different than the singles. Let's talk about a little bit the difference between the singles and walk among us and, and what you think that is sonically or, or is it just the fact that it's the difference between when a band writes singles and it's like, Hey, here's a solid a side and here's a solid B side. And now, Hey, we're writing a whole album. No, I will say it's absolutely not that. And here's why there is no bad songs on walk among us. There's almost no bad misfit songs. Really close. Uh, really tough to think of ones. I mean, uh, Brain Eaters was our only argument that it's not, and I think I said I appreciate it that it was on there. Pete was a little more iffy, but yeah. but that <laughs> might be one bad. of the yeah that might be one of the ones that's like mm, it's not it's not in the top forty. We'll say that. You know what's weird? It was one of my favorites when I was fourteen or fifteen. We said uh, that 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 amateur juvenile kind of feel to it, I think, was very intentional and thought out. And that it yeah. kind of like it's almost nursery rhyme ish, where like you can like any kind of music and you just hear it and it just sounds like some stupid ass schoolyard song. Um, 
yeah, in retrospect, you know, it's kind of a kind of a dud. But uh, I do think, you know, it, ser- it definitely served a purpose when I was that age. Um, but really, you know, I mean, like Astro Zombies definitely could have been a 1979 seven inch, you know, and it could have easily had uh, other songs. It could have had Violent World on the B side, you know, any of those songs I think could have been singles. Something I think that, um, and again, this is what makes it different for me. And I guess maybe is why I don't like it quite as much as the early stuff. I do think because around this time they were just heavily playing with all the hardcore bands, specifically the Midwest stuff. Um, and they had Googie playing drums. Yep. I do think it was just overall a more hardcore band than it was early on when it was definitely just more of a North Jersey, New York city punk rock band. Um, and I think it was a little bit more melodic, a little bit more stripped down. And I think it just started to get a little bit heavier, uh, just a little bit more bass driven by like, you know, 81, 82 ish. Um, and I just tend to like the boppier punk stuff. Like I said, even if this was a different band, it would still end up in my top 10. Um, but it def- it definitely started getting more hardcore. Yeah, no, the speed starts to pick up. And that's where we're kind of on the road to Earth AD. And for the perhaps the uninformed listener, if you listen to the earliest, well, not the earliest, but, yeah, you know, even the earliest Misfit stuff, there's a much more mid-tempo, not even a gallop, we'll call it a trot. How about that? Um, drum beat, and it, you know, it really kind of stays in the pocket. And as you move into Walk Among Us, it, get fat, it gets faster. But by Earth AD, they're on a borderline thrashing speed. They go really fast there. Um, so some of the things that you hear them hinting at on Walk Among Us come to roost on Earth AD. And you're totally right. Um, why do you think that was? Because I think you're right. Uh, the Misfits early material does feel like a northern New Jersey, New York City punk rock band but it feels like they almost never fit in or at least didn't break into the scene there, uh, which, which if you look at the historic placement for the misfits and you can speak on this, maybe they hit at a time when New York City's kind of going through the transition, which that early 76 ish range of things, CBGBs is starting to fade and the new New York city hardcore thing isn't really kicking off. So the misfits almost don't have anyone to, play with in that world do you think that's accurate or do you have a different view on that yeah i mean uh, my my gut was just kind of because the thing is like i couldn't really picture that era glenn glenn danzig like necessarily even like liking the necros and that's i could be completely wrong about that i have absolutely no idea but i kind of feel like it was the other guys in the band and maybe they had found an audience that actually liked them because anybody i know from back then that actually saw the misfits like nobody really cared about them in the late 70s kind of thought they sucked um and i think it just happened to work out where when they toured out west everybody out there just totally ate it up um you know and they befriended all of those bands and i think it was just kind of where they found a home uh, more than anything else. Um, I'm curious. I really wonder how much, like, did Glenzig, did, did Glenn Danzig own a copy of the Negative Approach 7-inch? Right. It's a, good, it's a worthwhile know. question. I mean, I bet so, 
but perhaps more in the way, dear Glenn, we love your band. Here's my band's seven inch. Check it out. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah. It's, uh, highlight the words. Check it out by John Brandon. Um, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's so fascinating to me because you're right. We've more than once associated them with sonically with things that they weren't, which is you know, yes. If you listen to the early singles, it makes sense. Like, could they have played with the Ramones? Of course they could. Of course they fucking could. Um, could they have, pl- but the Ramones were almost, I mean, certainly too big unless the Misfits were doing some weird opening slot thing to play with them. Uh, I wouldn't even I mean, be, I don't know how much they did that. No, I mean, playing with the damned or dead boys. Yeah, clearly like that. Sonically, they register a lot more over there, but I don't think they ended up with a lot of those bands too, too often. Um, but then they get a, almost adopted by the, the early first wave American hardcore scene. And that's where it seems like they had a home. And, and there is, you know, there's a slight thing where I think about, do you think there was an element of these are the people who love us? Cool. Oh, they've got bands. Oh, that's pretty cool too. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, you know, appreciating those who appreciate you the most. Uh, that's, that's what my gut says. Just because even, you know, the early shows, it, most of the flyers I see, it would be shows that they're headlining with like, you know, the victims who was like members at one point or another of their own band whose record they released, like stuff like that, uh, where it seems like their own curated thing where they probably called Max's and was like, you know, hey, we want to come down and headline or something and yeah. sent them a record that was on the jukebox and they were like, all right. But yeah, you're right. Like I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think the Misfits and the Ramones ever sh- shared a stage. Um, which is pretty crazy, but misfits were just very much their own entity. And I don't know if that was because they didn't want to be a part of something or they didn't know how to necessarily be a part of it. Cause maybe they weren't, you know, like guys from the scene who were necessarily, you know, they weren't doing scenes or, or doing zines or putting on shows or things like that. Yeah. Um, so it might've just been like kind of doing their own thing. And then when they toured, the only natural thing to do was to, play in these already established scenes and then they meet these people and you know i don't know obviously all those people ate it up and back home they totally had like you know hometown band syndrome where it was like people just didn't seem to care right which is so wild because i think now them being from new jersey has become almost part of their signature right like that matters um do you know when their earliest tours were because to my memory, they didn't tour much early. They weren't touring on those singles. If I'm remembering correctly, I might be totally ignorant to it. I'm not totally sure. Um, I feel yeah. like the first time I start seeing them do out-of-town stuff is post-1980. We're looking at like 81, 82-ish kind of. And you're, what you said where they're playing established scenes, it's like, yeah... The Misfits were putting out records early, but they weren't, it didn't seem like they were getting out there. But then once bands were getting out there, like, oh, let's go do this. Well, I mean, they definitely, they must have, I'm not exactly sure, but I do know that they went to London in like 78 or 79 when Horror Business came out. Oh, right. Um, Yeah. Because there was that whole story 
within the last couple of years where they had shipped a box of horror business singles to a guy in England because they were going out there to do shows. They got out there, they did one show, they got arrested, and that's, you know, they ended up writing London Dungeon about that. So they were traveling overseas in the late 70s, so they must have been, uh, I can only imagine, unless, I, I don't know the details of that trip. Um, I don't know. That's a good oh, question. Okay, here, here we go. Thank you, Internet, because I was like, you know what? We all love the Misfits, Pete, uh, you know, but but none of us are this level of crazy. And I was like, with the Misfits, there's definitely people who are listening to this screaming at their thing like, no, you idiots. Um, 77, they play three shows. Um, oh, no, no, no. They, they play. They have it. Oh, my God. This is broken down by the lineup. So they're touring around. They make it up to Toronto and play with the Skulls. They open with the Victims. They play with the Victims in New York, New Jersey. When is this? This is 77. So 77, they're actually playing lots of local shows, but they, as early as 78, they make it out to Detroit. Okay. Back to Toronto again. So they must've had a hookup there. Someone loved that, that I'm sure we can get some good stories on that. Uh, 78, a lot of New York shows, but it's, you know, if they're playing 10 shows and they're doing these really funny sets, this is incredible guys. You, you both love this. I'll send you it. On Misfit Central, they have a full lineup of the shows the Misfits played, but they're doing things where it's like essentially two shows at Max's Kansas City with the Flash Cubes, and then they're playing Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, uh, back to back, and then they're playing the same venue in Bethlehem uh, later on that year, four shows in a row. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, yeah. like four days in a row. Like so, they're doing, and they did have a UK tour opening for the Damned in '79. And they only played two shows, and then the rest was canceled because of said situation. Um, Do we know why they were why they were arrested? Do we know that piece of history? I don't know exactly. So they get in the U.S. up until 1980. They get out to Detroit once, and otherwise, it's you know they get to Toronto, and otherwise, it's New York, New Jersey, and some. Pennsylvania, like Philadelphia and Lehigh Valley dates. Post-1980, that's the first time they start doing like strings. They make it to Chicago in 81. Uh, And then in 81, they go fly out to California, it looks like, or whatever, drive out, who knows. And they play a string of shows. They play three shows in California, two in San Fran and one down in Costa Mesa. Um, And that's that. That was it. Then the Walk Among Us tour is the first we'll say tour because they, they do a few shows in new in DC do the Northeast, then head out. And it looks like they drive across and you know, there looks like there's some holes here, but they do a full U S tour on walk among us, which is interesting. Um, and then yeah. things start clicking ahead where they they do an evil live tour or they D. Um, so this is, this is actually fascinating. And then do the farewell show in 83 with the Necros in Detroit. So, yeah. So in a long convoluted way, they don't do significant touring other make, other than making it out to Toronto and Detroit and, and flying out to London because it makes sense. Oh, oh, the damned are having us come play with them. Okay, cool. And it does show you how weird and little the scene is. But the best question that's been asked is the Ramones and the Misfits never shared the stage. That's fascinating. Yeah. It, but again, it's like that total 
hometown band syndrome, where maybe by the time they would have had enough momentum to do that, they had already played like over and over and over again. And people had already seen them suck over and over and over again. Right. So, you know, in the UK, like I can say that for my own band, when we go play Chicago or we play London or we play California, it's always better than our hometown shows. Um, and I think it's just, you know, you get out of town and people don't know and they're all totally excited and everybody makes it out to those shows. Um, so it sounds pretty organic. I mean, the way that they started pretty much doing everything, you know, going from having absolutely no idea how to do shit to, I mean, that just sounds like anybody's first band really. For sure. Um, but as first bands go, the misfits are a pretty good one. I'd say they had a lasting impact. Um, talking more specifically about walk among us, uh, favorite track. This is something we didn't do. So Pete, what's your favorite track as well? Um, I think, you know, it's funny. I brought up the mommy. Can I go out and kill tonight? And now it's a live track before. I think that might be my favorite track. Um, I remember that had a huge impact on me when I was a kid. It was like one of the fastest tracks, if not the fastest track on the album. Um, and I wanted more of that. Like it just felt so aggressive, you know, when they actually kick into the fast part. Um, I, I don't know. I don't even know if that's a hot take or a bold statement, but uh, I think that's how I feel. I'd say that's a pretty hot take. I, uh, you know. Yeah, I think I think the cold take is that Skulls is my favorite song on the record um, <laughs> because it's like, yeah, that's a pretty good one. People know that one. Um, All Hell Breaks Loose is in the running. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably my top. Uh, 20 Eyes and I Turn Into a Martian is such a strong way to start the record. Um, I also, I just love the way you're kind of dropped into 20 eyes. It just, it's, it sets the tone in that way that, you know, like, Oh, okay, we're going here. Yeah. It's going to be a relentless, like 25 minutes or however long it is. Yeah. Yeah. Those two, the opening two, but in reverse order, I turned into a Martian in 20 eyes. Yeah. Probably my favorites. Um, uh, I don't know, but even listening to it today after having not heard it for a little while, Violent World, like there's just yes. tracks on here that I'm like, oh yeah, God, like this is awesome. Violent World has one of the parts that just gets in my head that do, 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 like the deep yeah. part, like that'll just get in my head randomly at times and, you know, becomes one of those silent soundtracks to your life kind of thing when, when some yeah. bad shit's happened and that's going through my head. Man, it stinks that they closed with the stinkiest track. That's right. Well, yeah, and that's my point. You know, I, I just feel like Astro Zombies would be even function as a great closer track. You can just keep the whole record so hot. <sighs> it would have been so easy. <laughs> it so, been so easy. So if there was anything you would, 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 is there anything you would change on this record? We've acknowledged we all like, we put the caveat, we're all gigantic fans and like, not just like, but love this record. So with that respect in mind, is there anything you would change or take off? I'd get rid of the last song on side A and the last song on side B. Oh, so that's the conversation we had. And Brain Eaters can both take a hike. Now, is it because it's a live track or because you just don't like the track? I like it in theory, but uh, yeah, just a live song in the middle of an album? I I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah, I feel you. On on paper and in theory, I I totally feel you, but... I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those albums I've heard enough that it doesn't bother me anymore. Like, I don't know. I like it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I came I came to the conclusion that I like it. And I like the energy. I also said that it's purely for like these weird aesthetic reasons that I'm sure they were, like you said, conscious of. It just comes across. It brings an energy that I don't think would be there. And even though it almost feels juvenile to to do something like throw a live track in the middle of a record, um, it separates it a bit. It, it gives it this kind of different feeling. How do you feel about the production of Walk Among Us? I I like it a little bit less than the singles. Again, I think it was getting uh, a little bit just heavier and more bass heavy. Uh, Googie's drumming, uh, I think. Uh, I, I really think it's the drumming is the biggest element to me um, that I like the earlier stuff. Um, but yeah, I think it just overall gets a little bit heavier. Um and again, love it, but I prefer the sound of anything before it. If you had never heard the album, by looking at it, and you'd never heard the Misfits, what would you think it sounded like looking at it? Um, that's a good question. I have absolutely no idea. Uh I'll let Pico first. No, I mean, well, so this is one of the things we touched on last episode. And, you know, what we talked about was in 2020, looking at this album cover, you know, I mean, first of all, yeah, it's a tough question because it's really hard to separate yourself from an album that you've been familiar with for so long, you know, but, you know, there are bands that have existed since, you know, like, you know, any number of kind of goth bands or, you know, like, different kinds of punk bands or like, you know, type or negative or, you know, whoever it might be, we mentioned last episode. Um, it's tough. Cause I feel like in a lot of ways it could look like a lot of different genre album covers, you know? Um, obviously it doesn't sound, it, it sounds like what it sounds like, but um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I'm looking at it now cause I, I thought that this was a, a video conference we were having. So I came prepared. <laughs> My copy is also still in the shrink. First press, still in the shrink. Mm, flex. Uh, very nice. <laughs> uh, two, two things come to mind. One, if I was like 14 at the record shop, I would probably think it was like a soundtrack because the logo is very Munsters-esque at this point. I also prefer the earlier logo. Um, yes. I would say, comparatively speaking, this was probably their wackest artwork up to this point. And I love the cover to this record, but the singles, I think, have some of the coolest punk rock artwork ever. I think all of them are very aesthetically pleasing for all different reasons. I think they just had Glenn had a really good eye for that kind of stuff. Um, I wonder if there's somebody that put the art together for this that wasn't him. That's a good question. I mean, when did they first use the new Misfits logo? Is it here? I don't know. I would have to imagine it was probably before this. Um, yeah, it was definitely before this, but I would have to cheat to find out when it, they actually started using it. Same, right. Uh, you know, they were using kind of this more, it looked more hand done. And I, I'm, I wouldn't be, I'd be shocked if this other, the newer Misfits logo wasn't hand done. So I'm sure it was as well. But the earlier version is a little bit more rough less it's less less cartoony like you know uh less pulpy we'll say that 
Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. cheating. But. Is this, yeah, Pete, while he's looking, is this, this might be the worst Misfits record art? I think it is. Yeah. I mean, when you really think about it, the the early singles cover, like Brian said, is it's great. You know, it's like perfect punk rock artwork. Um, and even the later album covers, you know, I think are a little better than this. This one, like, I like it a lot. It looks, you know, it looks great. I've been familiar with it for so long. I guess it's like, it's hard to separate at this point, but it does look a little bit thrown together. You know, it's like they obviously took some things from, you know, old uh, horror movie, movie posters, yep. you know, cut that shot out of them, put it on there. Like it looks, it doesn't look slapped together, but uh, I'll ask this. It doesn't what look if- like as, many, as much thought went into it as, you know, other album covers for sure. I'll ask this: If you make it a uh, single tone, if you make that all black and white, um, I think it might look pretty sharp. Um, there's just a lot going on, so the layers of it, when you add in the colors, it's tough. And also, you know what? the The Misfits logo throws it off as well because it almost has a more serious tone, um, which some of the early singles do too. But when you throw the logo on it, it starts it starts to feel like. Um, artwork stew and and not all the ingredients fit together well yeah so that logo really unless it was on a shirt it didn't happen until the 80s and i think they did halloween during these sessions at some point during the walk among us sessions i think is when they recorded halloween halloween definitely has the new monsters logo so does evil live so does die die my darling um die die my darling might be my least favorite art of the misfits, even though it's probably structurally cooler and just as iconic and probably more iconic than, than walk among us. By 84, I think they were just using like lamer art techniques. Like everything before that was probably hand done by Glenn at that point. It's definitely like a font like die, die, my darling is like icicle font or some wax. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I, I must tell you though, I'm looking at the inner sleeve for this record and there's so much weird, cool stuff that I wish one of those guys was here with us to ask. First off, there's definitely a que- a picture with them with Barry Hensler from the Necros, yep. what looks to be Harley Flanagan, and maybe John Brennan. Uh, I don't know who that guy is. Oh yeah, um, I'm looking at it now the one where they're holding up the records. That's definitely yeah, Harley. Yeah, the Necros holding up IQ32. Yep, yep. That's a cool photo, and that. That could be Brandon for sure. Is that is that Harley? That's definitely Harley. One hundred percent, it's Harley. What? So that must have been. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean that dude was around and was buddies with these the Misfits, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah. So talking more about Walk Among Us, I mean we've kind of circled around it. Any other Sonic things that really stand out to you? Hmm. No, I I mean, I think it still has the same grit riddled in distortion, um, you know, as the singles. I would really have to listen to stuff back to back to see what it is that personally I prefer more. It could just be a matter of mixing or something like that. I just think it's a little too bassy and rumbly and not as like... Uh, uh, I guess just trebly and distorted. It's just more, it's just heavier. Um, 
Yeah, I don't. Yeah, there's so many credits on this thing. It was recorded all over the place, mixed in California. I don't know. I think there might have just been too many maybe cooks in the kitchen or something like that um, when putting it together. It just doesn't have the same – to me, it doesn't have the same rawness that some of the earlier stuff has. Sure, 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 sure. Um, Bob, did you have anything more about Walk Among Us specifically? No, I, I, I think the last thing I wanted to let you pose because this was your thought was um, about the misfits more broadly in in the current times. Yeah, um, I was going to say we can probably start winding down, but um, Brian, one of the things that we talked about in the last episode is really, you know, I got into punk through the misfits. You know, obviously they played a huge part for the two of you as well. Um, we got into a discussion really about whether or not the misfits are a gateway band in 2020. Meaning, okay. you know, are kids still now hearing the misfits early on and are, you know, are the misfits kind of getting them into, you know, deeper into punk rock or deeper into, you know, other kind of subcultural categories. Um, do you think kids are, or do you think, do you think they're not? Are kids getting into punk period? I, I would say first, um, and I don't know that they are so much. Um, I mean, I would have to assume to some degree they're still as influential as they ever were. Um, but, uh, I don't know. There's not enough, there's not as much shock and allure to a band like the Misfits as there would have been, I think, when we got into that stuff. Um, just because a lot has, you know, come since then. Uh, and I think that was a, a big part of it when kids are getting into it. It's so freaky and weird and it looks weird and it sounds weird and it's exciting. Um, but again, they were the gateway for a ton more bands that came after them that got considerably more popular for them. Right. Um, so if anything, bands like Metallica or even, you know, I would use Marilyn Manson as an example, but I don't know if kids are getting into Marilyn Manson either. Um, you know, I don't know what current day thing uh, is maybe getting the attention that the misfits deserve from the youth, but uh, I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's one of the things we talked about too, you know. Um, it seems like to me, culturally, they've definitely had, you know, a really clear impact. Like you said, Marilyn Manson, Metallica, all these bands. Um, and I think like aesthetically, there's still clear influence and all of that, but it's just so baked in at this point that it's hard to, you know, kind of break it apart. Yeah, I don't know. We need kids. What do kids like? <laughs> so with that, uh, Brian, would it be safe to say you heard or had or were very aware of Walk Among Us in 1997? Probably 1998. Okay, 1998. Walk Among Us came out in 1982 or 83? 82. It was recorded in 81. So 82. So that's 16 years. So we are now further from the point where you heard it, we all heard it, say, than uh, we're further from that point, our point of discovery, than... Than we were when we first heard it. 
You know what I mean? That's weird. It's really weird. And so that's something I think about generationally in subculture music. And, and, you know, we, with, uh, it came from New Jersey. Our plan is to do all kinds of music from New Jersey. So hopefully someone who's hearing this, you know, when we talk about certain old records, uh, some people don't look at a Bruce Springsteen record and wonder like, oh, this came out in 1979. Oh, that was so long ago. But some people do. And I can always understand someone not understanding something. Like there are people who love the Misfits who were born after we heard the Misfits for sure, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But uh, but I always think about it because when I listen to Walk Among Us, I still feel that vitality. I still feel energy from it in a way that I think resonates with young people all the time. I think there's still, and I hope, and if there isn't, boy, that would be really sad. But I think there's still people who can't drive who are going with their friend to get uh, a crimson ghost tattoo. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I hope so. I hope so as well. I think that would be a beautiful thing. All right, Pete, anything else, my friend, Brian, have you ever been to Lodi? I've never been to Lodi. All right. Group road trip. Yeah. You can join us. We, we talked about this. Neither of us has ever been to Lodi either. And I think I've only known one person from Lodi. So, um, if anyone from Lodi hears this, uh, we need some recommendations. Preferably pizza is a, is pretty high on my list. Um, <laughs> anything else that we should check out in Lodi, and uh, and we'll report back hopefully in the future. And Brian, you we we expect you now to join us on this journey. This this yes. this pilgrimage to Mecca. I would very much love to. <laughs> Misfits being from Jersey, because also by all accounts. Like, and I mean this in the absolute nicest way, but like, you know, from what I hear, they were really just like Jersey bozos, you know, just total like Italian Jersey, North Jersey guys. And obviously I love that and I can relate to it, but sure, I feel like they were more, and again, I don't know. I think it's, I, I find them really interesting, but I feel like they were more uh, like Jersey than they are punks. If, if anything, I'm really curious as to what their tie was to the scene, like what bands they liked, if they liked anything, uh, or if that was just like their playing ability. Uh, I don't know. I've always been really curious about well, that. And- like, did Glenn own the self-titled Ramones album? Like, <laughs> one would assume, like, I have no idea. Yeah. Wouldn't that be weird, like, Glenn listening to the first Ramones record? I don't know why I find that kind of bizarre yeah but it almost feels like he had to but then you you think it through and you think maybe not like they could have been this weird island but then you see like okay they 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 flew to london to play with the dam so they were aware of them and and they were playing these shows with different bands so there were some connections and they did do this diy putting out their own records so they were figuring out networking um but yeah like here's the other thing that we circled around a bit it doesn't feel like the Misfits, much like, you know, early wave punk bands, there wasn't this total adherence to the idea of like, nah, man, we're we're DIY. We don't want any big businesses involved, you know, and as can be seen by by Glenn's later projects, like that dude signed to every, the biggest label that he could and would go play arenas tomorrow if he could. You know, these they didn't have any compunction with that. So there wasn't that sort of um, subculture ethics either. It was just like, oh. This is who wants us to play? Cool. Where are we going to play? VFW? Cool. Oh, we're not playing uh, Tiger Stadium? All right. That's fine. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, and the first album, you know, 
Walk Among Us is on Slash. It's on a big label at the time. So I can only feel that, again, it's just very organic in the way where they were like, you know, okay, I guess we're just going to put out our own records. Okay, I guess we're just going to go play Toronto and not play anything on the way because like somebody asked us to play there. Like it just seems so clueless and organic and cool. And in my head, I think that's why I've, you know, like I could picture them more being like a part of Tony Soprano's crew than I can like guys that would go see the Ramones when they played <laughs> North Jersey. Like I just, and then it was just kind of like, wanting to do it just seemed like they started a, a company more than anything like from the t-shirts and their own mail order yeah. it's more like this than it was anything else but you know and i have that same feeling about like i can't picture johnny ramone purchasing a, an album either you know like those guys were just very much doing their own thing and if they couldn't be on the top of the bill then they wanted no part of it um yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because that's just not the way that things work anymore or have for a long time. Uh, but I think, you know, the truest genius freaks were just all about just doing stuff and getting done, not waiting around for a, a record deal or trying to be part of a scene. Like they were just doing their thing. It's crazy. Yeah, I think that's a great point. They kind of did their thing and, you know, other worlds or scenes kind of gravitated to them than the other way, you know? And I think that's kind of a, a cool place. And certainly Walk Among Us fits into this tapestry of punk at large. But maybe that isolates why we've talked about the Misfits and they sort of stand out even in this world that's supposed to be diverse and all these different things. And, you know, the Misfits stood out in a, a weird way, even in punk rock music. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. A lot of other stuff you can just lump together with a particular scene or a time. And, you know, you might not be able to talk about the big boys without talking about the dicks or MDC or whatever else was going on in Texas at that point. But like, yeah, the misfits are a beast all in their own. Uh, and I, it seems like everybody at the time really recognized it too. You know, like even when they went through Texas and they would play with the big boys, like everybody was a fan. It just seemed like as soon as they got out of town, everybody loved the misfits and they were like their own, just their own beast, a force to be reckoned with. Cool. I think that's a good place to, to end it. Absolutely. What do you guys think? Anything else? No, I think that's great. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. That was great. Uh, we look forward to Maybe we'll have you on again. That was a really fun conversation. Yeah, I love you guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, of course. Brian, is there anything you want to plug before we, before we go? Nah. Check out Ancient Artifacts. Check out <laughs> Wired Touring. And, uh, of course, check out The Mighty Nightbirds. That works. <laughs> great. Thanks, guys.